You're listening to episode 150 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology and cultural issues, all from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. When we think of the faithful preaching of the Word of God as the Word of God, as the voice of Christ himself, does that mean Christ is adding chapters to the books of Scripture every Lord's Day? Are faithful sermons adding to the canon if we rightfully call it God's words being preached? In today's episode, Dr. J. Mark Beach addresses these objections and more. Well, returning to our earlier discussion about faithful preaching of the Bible, which is the Word of God, and when that's done, it is the Word of God, because the message of the Bible is received and understood and conveyed. This kind of thing has made a number of people uncomfortable. Years ago, I had spoken or written about this, and I received a letter in which a very well-meaning layperson uh, was well, trying to take me to task that I was somehow bringing strange fire to the reform camp or something. And so I was given a number of questions, one of which was, when the preacher preaches, is his message infallible, inerrant, word of God? Well, that's a good question, and my short answer is no. Uh, the preacher's message may have a number of errors or flaws, But that doesn't mean the voice of Christ doesn't come through or that Christ doesn't still admonish his people or instruct them or console them through his opening up of the Scripture and applying it. Uh, Preaching's power is always the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we must remember, has chosen this means, the preaching of the Word, because it does often uh, what personal Bible reading doesn't do. It can do what it, that, you know, just mere personal Bible reading often can't do. Namely, apply the word accurately to specific concrete circumstances. It doesn't always do that. Not, no sermon's perfect, but that's not what's being claimed here. It's that the word of God is now understood, it's conveyed, and by the Spirit's blessing, received. So, faithful preaching then opens the Word, clarifies the Word, and uh, the attribute of uh, Scripture's clarity or its perspicuity, remember, does not mean that each and every part of the Bible is clear and easy to understand, but that the way of salvation And that principle theme can be understood. But all the more then, because not all parts of Scripture are easily understood, even other apostles found things in Paul hard to understand, the great need for preaching comes forth. We need one to help us understand. How can I understand if someone doesn't explain it to me? Again, the Ethiopian eunuch. So when faithful preaching opens a text, a biblical text, that was obscure or misunderstood, are we going to say that we haven't heard the voice of Christ? Rather, we finally heard the voice of Christ. Well, another objection I remember was 
I was asked, is God's message written in the Bible complete, or is Christ adding new chapters each Sunday by many ministers? Because, you know, you can see the idea here. If preaching is the Word of God, shouldn't we tack on such? Well, again, is God's message written in the Bible complete? Yes, it is. And then, no, Christ is not adding new chapters to the Bible each Sunday by faithfully preached uh, sermons. Although God's revelation is complete, be clear about this. The administration of that message, that revelation, as written in the Bible, is not complete. The administration of the Word is ongoing, and that's why Christ instituted preaching. So the explanation, the application of God's written word, the Bible, is an ongoing activity of God himself uh, by the Holy Spirit. So Christ is then busy through preaching, bringing his word to bear in a concrete way to very specific people, uh, a very specific place, at a very specific time, for their salvation coming to faith, for their sanctification being nurtured in faith. And that's one of the great advantages of preaching the Word of God, being a servant of the Bible, now you bring it very specifically to very, very concretely to a place, a time, a circumstance. But Christ remains the agent who builds his church, not us. If Christ builds the church, then by whose voice is the church built? Surely, as Romans 10 shows us, it's through the voice of Christ himself. Never a reverend so-and-so or such-and-such. Another question, perhaps. Maybe you think this, too. Should we write down each message and add it to the canon? So, sort of along the lines of the previous question. No, for we may add nothing to the canon. So I I suspect what troubles people when we hear that the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God, well, if that's so, shouldn't it be added to the Bible? But no, that isn't so. Uh, Let's be clear what we're saying and not saying. In saying that the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God isn't to say it's the Word of God in the same way that Scripture is. Uh, Nor is it saying that preachers are divinely inspired like the biblical writers in penning Scripture, so that everything they say in a sermon is the very words of God, and that their sermons are God-breathed, God's breath of speaking, uh, word by word. No, Preaching is the Word of God in a derivative sense. It's an administration of the Word, and it shouldn't be so hard to understand. It's certainly not inconceivable to hear the voice of Christ through the administration of the Word of Christ. That shouldn't trouble us. God has given us his written Word so that we may have his voice or his word uh, proclaimed. And when that word is properly, faithfully proclaimed, the word of God is heard, not merely a reverend's words. Again, if preaching is less than the voice of Christ in distinction from the very words of Christ, then we could probably 
move beyond it or be done with it. But I think we should hold on to Romans 10, uh, 14 and 15, and Luke 10, 16, and also the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, when he writes, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. This is very historic, classic, reformed thinking. Faithful preaching isn't something in competition with the Bible. Rather, it's a servant of the Bible. It administers the Bible. And precisely because it does that, and when it does that, it qualifies as the voice of Christ so that we're actually hearing and receiving what he says. Now, I remember another sort of snarky <laughs> quasi-rebuttal to all this. If preachers interpret texts differently, well, which preacher then is the voice, the very voice of Christ? Well, the short answer is none of them. Preachers aren't the very voice of Christ. But perhaps what's meant by the question, which sermon, which preacher's sermon is the very voice of Christ? And for me, that's an easy one, the one that's true and faithful to Scripture. <laughs> and I want to be dismissive, but all of us who sit in the pew, and even those of us who are practitioners of preaching, realize that not every sermon, every Sunday, hits on all cylinders. It isn't the case that every sermon is preached is the Word of God or the voice of Christ conveyed. Uh, to us fairly. But there's a lot of poor preaching that is just good enough for the Spirit to use nonetheless. There's a lot of boring preaching that the Spirit's pleased to use because the truth of the Bible is conveyed and re can be received and heard by us in a way that edifies and blesses. And there's, of course, preaching with great unction of the Spirit both in the heart of the preacher and the recipients, the audience, the congregants, in which a great miraculous work takes place that is, well, frankly, some of the most beautiful, wonderful things we experience in this life. Now, one last question. Isn't this kind of a version of a Bardian notion of Word of God, preaching as a form of Word of God? Let's pause here a moment and see what about that. Now, for those who aren't very familiar with what Bardian is, it comes from the phrase comes from the theologian or those who are follow after the ideas of the Swiss Reformed theologian Karl Barth, who was easily the most influential and important theologian of the 20th century. Uh, Karl Barth is hard to categorize. He's neither a classic confessional orthodox theologian, nor is he a modernist theologian who thinks that we're really just talking about ourselves when we talk about theology, and theology is really reflection on human nature and feelings, 
and uh, all that kind of thing. What we need to understand with Karl Barth is he did talk about divine revelation as something, well, in a distinct way than how we're used to talking about it. For Karl Barth, when he talked about divine revelation, he had in mind God's activity of making himself known, which then by definition is successful. When God is active to make himself known, then he becomes known in the recipient. Thus, for him, revelation is a, an active word, a sort of a verb of God speaking and God doing simultaneously. It's maybe if you said something like, let there be, God says, let there be light, and then nothing happens. Well, Bart would say, God hasn't spoken. When God speaks, let there be light, then something happens. There's light. The same with revelation for Bart. When God is active to do something, bam, it happens. When God reveals himself to us, he's revealing himself through his word, through his Christ, by the Holy Spirit. So it's a triune God activity. And it's successful. It happens because God's doing it. So one of the problems of trying to understand Karl Barth is to understand his own vocabulary and the way he uses words like revelation and God's word, which is always God speaking and his activity of doing and conveying something. Well, Barth also talks about then preaching as a form of word of God. And in that sense, he would have much in mind what we've been talking about as well. When God speaks in preaching as word of God, God speaking, well, then revelation's going to happen because God's doing it. It's not a matter of recipients sitting back and go, well, I'll, I'll take or leave this. If you're leaving it without taking it, God hasn't done anything or in our way of talking, the Holy Spirit hasn't worked in your heart and opened your ears so that you're receiving what has been said. Bart doesn't so much make that kind of distinction between revelation and illumination. For him, these terms are collapsed into one another. So where revelation happens, that's because illumination happens. And that's not you doing God a favor, that's God doing something to you. Now, so yes, there's some interplay between some of Bart's ideas, but Bart got those ideas more from Luther and Calvin than the other way around. But where we would want to disagree with Bart is Bart, because he makes revelation such a activity, an action of God, he doesn't want to talk about the Bible as sitting between, as pages sitting between covers and a book, as revelation as such. Though he does want to say when God takes up the message of the Bible, the human witness of past revelation that's recorded in the Bible, when God in his sovereign freedom does that, whether it be through theological discussion or whether it be through the the scripture itself, or derive from the scripture, the preaching, 
when God is busy and active, then that's God speaking, that's revelation, and then the Word of God becomes, yes, in that sense, becomes the Word of God because God is doing something. For us, no, we want to talk about the Bible as divine revelation as such. But in saying that, we're honoring the way Scripture speaks of itself, while also acknowledging, because we're sinners and blind and have a propensity to distort things and to willfully turn aside from God, we need the powerful illumination of the Spirit working in our hearts to make the preaching of the Word effectual and even reading of the Bible effectual. Or if you want to put it this way, the revelation that sits there in, as such, Word of God on the pages of the Bible, yet so many people can read it and nothing happens. They don't, they don't receive it as Word of God. They don't acknowledge it as Word of God, though that's what it is. Even classic Reformed theology recognizes, no, it takes the illumination of the Spirit to peel off the scales from our eyes, to soften our heart, to unstop our ears, so that what we hear as what it is, Word of God, is received and uh, taken up and believed then, and uh, we seek to obey it because it's Word of God to us. So that's a very interesting question uh, with Karl Barth. One thing he shows us is that, and we can agree with him, it does take a divine activity for revelation to reach the recipient. Again, not because recipients do something for God, but because God does something in the recipients. That's why we pray for pastors and preaching. That's why we pray before a sermon or within the congregational prayer for the preaching. Uh, there's not a power we don't reform don't quite agree with lutherans on this one there's not a power in and of itself in the bible to make itself felt and understood and known no it, it takes something working with the with the bible the word of god in the bible uh as the bible to for us to embrace it and believe it and seek to live out of it so that's a that's a vital thing I think we should be jealous to keep and hold on to, that the Word of God in Scripture, that, that, that infallible and plenary inspired Word, still needs the Spirit who inspired it to inspire us, to change us, and to take those words and to take the sermon of the preacher explaining, illustrating, applying, so that we receive today that voice of Christ, that message for our time, that needed admonition or correction or instruction, that needed consolation, that needed encouragement. Uh, preaching isn't lightweight stuff. It's the lifeblood of the church and that's why it's such hard work to be a faithful preacher. And we want to do our best as preachers to not stand in the Spirit's way, but that he would gift us and use our gifts to bring uh, the good message 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his free mercy of salvation, God's love for us, a world broken, to bring us to reconciliation and life. And he does that principally, Sunday by Sunday, in bringing the word opened up and explained the preaching of the word. Tune in next week as Dr. Cornelis Venema elaborates on the core doctrines of justification and sanctification from the perspective of John Calvin. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.